All right, welcome back to the Holtcast. This podcast is funded by the generous patrons at patreon.com slash Curtis Holt. So in this episode, I want to talk about community management and some things I've learned from running a Discord server where people can take part in discussions, share their artwork and take part in challenges and just generally have a fun time. It's been a very interesting learning process managing this Discord server over the last few years. I tend to see it as a way of cultivating creative personalities because one of the things I find most enjoyable about having the Discord server is first of all meeting new people, but also seeing how people can express themselves and giving them a platform where they can share their work and get the encouragement and feedback they need in a very safe environment. We've built my server to be quite family friendly, which means it has a stricter rule set. This is quite different from other Discord servers, especially from other creators as well. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with having something that's not family friendly, but it's just a personal choice. So we're quite strict with language usage and posting content that's not safe for work. Because in my mind, I'm always thinking, well, if someone opens this up at work or if they're showing the server to their family and something unfortunate pops up, then that should not be allowed on there. Anyway, what's been really fascinating is watching how people share their work and how other people of a whole range of personalities come and provide feedback and encouragement. There are some things I've noticed that work really well and some things that don't work so well when engaging in a discussion and providing critique on people's artwork. And I've kind of come up with a few mental guidelines of do's and don'ts. First of all, one thing to point out is that when people share their artwork on public servers like this, not everyone is looking for feedback because not everyone wants to improve. People do artwork for a whole range of reasons, not just for the interest of turning into a professional job. Some people do it because it's just enjoyable and some people use it as a emotional outlet. And I think it's nice to try and accommodate all of these purposes. Also, as well as that, for people that have never put their artwork out on the internet before, it can be quite a daunting process and it can take a fair amount of bravery for them to actually do it. One thing you don't want to do for someone that's quite emotionally sensitive when putting their content out for the first time is to have them confront a giant wall of criticism for their work. So I generally run along the rule of if someone hasn't asked for your critique directly, then don't provide it. Not unless there are contextual or environmental factors which indicate that that's allowed. For example, on Discord servers, it's quite often the case where there are channels for people just to share their work, and then there are separate channels for people to get feedback. So the contextual rules have already been established there to say, okay, when something's put in the feedback channel, then it's fair game for people to critique. Otherwise, I feel like these environments should be places where people can feel comfortable uploading their work, just in the knowledge that other people are seeing it, they're getting their work out there, and that they may be having an emotional impact on someone else in the world. I've noticed that the people that give the best feedback are those that try and maintain a consistent level of rapport or engagement, which is where instead of providing a long paragraph of criticism for the work, they instead break it down into smaller sentences. And each one of these messages could say provide, I don't know, like one to three different directions for where the artwork could be taken. But the key point is they break a much longer paragraph into separate sections because they wait for the artist to respond. And I've seen that the reason they do this is because when you wait for the artist to respond on a small piece of feedback that you provided, you can then pick up emotional clues to see whether or not they're actually happy with the feedback that you've given them. Because you can quite often see whether or not they're actually comfortable with receiving feedback based on that first message back you get. People that are really good at giving feedback can take those emotional clues and use them to adapt their next messages. So instead of just being one big wall of text, which can be taken any number of ways, it becomes a much more interactive experience. It feels much more like a conversation. There's more of a back and forth. There's a change in direction for what's being thought about and what things can be changed in the artwork. And the person giving the critique has a constant flow of emotional clues from the person to say whether or not they're going in a good direction. 
Another thing that people that give good feedback know how to do is get creative with their vocabulary to say the same thing, but in a much nicer way. So for example, people that don't have much empathy when engaging with other people online would say something like, it's bad or it's terrible to a piece of artwork. Just very simple words indicating something that's obviously quite negative. It's bad, it's insert swear word here, it's terrible, it's bland, etc. All of that's unnecessary because there are so many possibilities for nicer ways to get that message across that won't offend the person on the receiving end. So for example, if you're not interested in a piece of artwork, instead of saying it's bad, you can be much more diplomatic with it and say something like, I appreciate the amount of effort that's been put into this. This typically isn't the kind of artwork I like. I would be interested in seeing what else you can make. That's a very diplomatic way of saying, I'm not interested in this type of artwork, but I understand the time that's gone into it. It's got a much more positive tone to it. And it's really not difficult to come up with sentences like that to basically wrap up a much harsher opinion in a very positive way. And it's really interesting that every person will write the same message in a slightly different way. So you can almost identify different personalities in the way the feedback is written. When looking at feedback being given, I always try and look out for the intention behind it as well. Because it can be the case in a lot of times that people aren't giving feedback actually to help the individual. They're actually giving it just because they want to look smart and they're looking for validation themselves. So taking what I've just said, generally when I see people break down their feedback into smaller chunks and they await emotional clues from the other person, that gives me the sense that this person is genuinely trying to help. They're being very responsive to the personality on the other end. Whereas when they leave big blocks of text, say in the case where they've actually never had a conversation with this person before, so they just assume that they're going to be comfortable with facing this large amount of critique, or if they're not paying attention to emotional clues, you can see that the person on the receiving end is feeling uncomfortable with the feedback being given, and yet they still continue to give it anyway. Those types of situations lead me to think that, okay, well, this person isn't doing it to help, they're actually doing it because they want to feel smart. Now, a little bit of this is fine and harmless, but if it's excessive, then it can lead some people to feel quite uncomfortable and not want to interact on servers in the future. So from my perspective as the community manager and from the moderation perspective as well, we're always keeping an eye out for excessive amounts of this type of behavior because we want to strike a good balance between providing encouragement and making people feel comfortable and also being able to give feedback, valuable feedback and criticism to help them grow if they want it. The key point being if they want it. It would be wrong to make the assumption that everyone should feel like they should be comfortable with receiving criticism because, as we said, everyone is doing and sharing this work for a different reason. It's not up to anyone else to decide how you want to live your life, for example. And when interacting with other people online, you know, most of the time you know next to nothing about their lifestyle, their personality, their life choices, and the direction that they want to take their future in. So that's why it always rubs me the wrong way when you see people that are so excited to finally share something with the community and they post it and then someone else comes along and says, you should do this, you should do this instead, you should do this and that. And you just want to jump in and say, look, dude, just shut up. Like, let the person do what they want to do. Everyone makes the life choices for themselves and that's okay. We've got to be there for it. The best we can do is just provide encouragement because I think over time, if everyone provides each other with encouragement and everyone helps each other to grow in the ways that they want to grow, then we'll end up with a much more vibrant and colorful community, one that has more opportunities for people. Because when people feel like they have a safety net of like-minded contacts and friends, they become much more confident for trying more ambitious projects, especially in group settings, or to collaborate and get other people on board. And this generally doesn't happen in harshly critical communities from what I've seen. So that's why I, as a personal choice, have a bias towards cultivating a more encouraging rather than a harshly critical community. One thing I think that's good about there being so many different community servers for sharing artwork is that they all serve a slightly different purpose. 
and they will cultivate slightly different types of personalities. This is one thing that's been fascinating when talking to other Blender creators, because we've noticed that we tend to attract different types of personalities in our audiences, and also alongside that different senses of humor. There is a fair amount of overlap between the different community servers of us creators, and it is interesting to see how the different community groups tend to interact with each other. Some like to communicate heavily through memes and meme culture. Others like to be a bit more serious in what they're trying to achieve and mostly just talk about work. Some are much more familiar, which I would consider mine to be more in this group, where they feel like there's more of a friendship dynamic within the server, the kind of place where people say good morning and good night to each other every day, which is a very nice vibe to be around. And what seems to be happening is that when people watch us on YouTube, they tend to build up an understanding of what they think our personalities are like as creators. And then I think the assumption comes along with that, that our communities follow our same kind of personality, if that makes sense. So if I take the example of CG Matter slash Default Cube, we've spoken a fair bit about this in the past. They have definitely fostered more of a meme and comedy culture, which is represented by the kind of content that gets posted in their servers. Whereas me, because I'm very much the more serious, public relations friendly, generic British guy, I tend to have attracted more sensible and focused personalities. There's nothing inherently better or worse about any one of these two things. And I think one of the things that's fantastic about this is that people want different things depending on how they're feeling. So people can hop around all the different servers and enjoy them in different ways, which I think is really nice. And kind of bring this back around to feedback and critique. What I think has been happening is that people share their work in different types of servers depending on the kind of response they want to receive, which is great because it feels like people have more options and that they don't feel trapped like they have to share their work in only one place and they have to receive either only encouragement or only criticism. Now, from the perspective of trying to maintain a general sense of positivity when conversations are going on, especially in regards to discussions about people's work, if I feel like it gets to a point where it's too critical or too negative, then I will throw in a personal compliment in there just to add a little bit of positive energy to balance things out a bit. Another thing I try and do is if I feel like the conversation gets a bit too insulting, then I'll put my foot down and try and tone it back a bit. So for example, here are some things that you can look out for. An example of what I would call bad critique are the accusatory questions. So for example, if someone's used a certain method to make something, first of all, give them the benefit of the doubt that they've used it for a reason. You can be nice and say, hi, I've noticed that you've used this method to make this, which is great. But if you wanted to, you could also use this in the future. And I think that's a nice way of packaging up the information. But bad critique for me would be, why didn't you do it like this instead? And then if the person gives a genuine response, they'll be like, yeah, but why didn't you do it like this? Why didn't you use this instead? Always starting off with a why. The question is quite accusatory and it's misleading because a question generally asks for information. But I think people know the reason already when they use questions like this. The answer they want to hear is, oh, because I didn't know that was a thing. Thank you for telling me. You're very clever. How do you know about this? So I try and avoid things like that because they can make people feel stupid. So instead of saying, why, 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 I think it's more comfortable for people if you say, I noticed you've used this. By the way, if you didn't know about it, you can use this instead. Because it's not putting anyone under a spotlight, asking them for more information. It's just putting another piece of info out there saying, look, here's what's also possible. Take it or leave it if you like, but it doesn't matter either way. Another thing to think about is the primacy and recency effect of short-term memory, which basically means that people tend to remember things at the beginning and the end of a sequence better than stuff that's in the middle. So for example, if you were memorizing a bunch of numbers, if I just give you a random sequence like 26299966, people tend to remember the first two and like the last two numbers easier than all the rest. But it really depends on the type of sequence. But the primacy and recency effect is really important for language, especially when people are reading. 
because they read it one word at a time and they try and store the general gist of what the conversation is about in their short-term memory. So if you do have a certain amount of critique that you want to package up for someone, try and sandwich it with positives. So start off on a positive note, then give a bit of critique, and then end it on a positive note. So it's all neatly packaged up. The person feels encouraged because you've provided something of value in terms of information, but it hasn't been done in an accusatory way because you've ended it on a high note as well. Now, I have seen people misuse this in the past just to try and cover their back. For example, where people have said, this is great, but, and then done something that's extremely harsh, extremely insulting, and then gone back to, but honestly, it's not terrible, which is supposed to be a positive, but because of the harsh criticism in the middle, it comes off as really sarky, irritating, and just generally super negative. So if you want to maintain an air of encouragement when providing valuable criticism, just choose the right kind of vocabulary, be sensitive to the kind of person you're talking to. If you've had interactions with this person in the past, then you will get a general gist of what kind of feedback they're comfortable with and what language you should use with them. But again, if there's someone that you've never spoken to before online, you're not doing any joint project and you're not in a context where criticism is generally encouraged, then maybe you should think twice before providing some harsh criticism. Of course, the situation changes when professionalism comes into it. For example, if people are working together in a company, there's some very objective reasons why you should be providing continuous critique for a peer of yours. Because in that situation, it could be the case that it's quite literally part of the job to provide critique to your fellow employees. But if you don't know the person and you've never spoken to them on a very personal level and you don't have any idea of the kind of direction they want to take in life or the choices they've made or the reasons why they've done it, then I don't think that you should try and impose your own views about that on them. One thing I have experienced from the perspective of a general content creator on YouTube and elsewhere over the last couple of years is that when people give criticism, everyone feels like they know what's best for you, even though they have very little to no understanding about your day-to-day -day life. But I think part of that is because people don't know how to separate personal preference and the lessons they've learned through their unique experiences from an objective reality. So this kind of brings us on to the subjective versus objective argument for providing feedback. Because for artwork, artwork is very subjective. You know, art is art. A dot on a page could be art if someone feels like it is. And when people provide feedback, I've seen that sometimes people mix up their personal preference with objective technical information. So they'll say something like, you shouldn't use this method and you shouldn't have it this color. And I look at that and I go, wait, actually, hold on, separate that. Because the color's got nothing to do with the objective technique used to make the artwork in the first place. But I've definitely seen a fair number of people that haven't learned how to separate personal preference in their mind when it comes to packaging together critique to provide to someone else online. So that's just something to keep in mind. That's why I think it's always beneficial to spark up a conversation with someone, learn a little bit about them, what they want to do, what they want to make, before you dive in and you start giving them some help. Because one thing you don't want to do is accidentally lead them down the wrong path. For example, if someone wants to learn Blender and start making environments, and then someone else comes in and says, oh, you'd love characters for your environment, so you should learn rigging. Go over here and learn about armatures. I'd be like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. We've got to be careful there, because if we send them down the rabbit hole of learning to do rigging in armatures, what if they get frustrated and then give up? And then they feel like, well, that's the way to make environments because that person told me that once, so I should learn this first. We've got to be careful with stuff like that. We've got to learn about what people actually want to do, be sensitive to the direction they want to take, and then provide them with valuable feedback based on that information, not just on what we think they should do, but what they actually want to do. Another thing I've noticed when it comes to moderating conversations, especially ones where things have gone heated and arguments have arisen from harsh criticism, is that the tone of the original message pretty much decides how the rest of the conversation is going to go. This is something that I've also seen when I've been responding to comments on the YouTube video as well. 
Because if someone leaves a comment or a message that's quite sassy in tone, something that's intended to be a bit spiteful, if you leave a kind of generic response, which could be taken anyway, positive or negative, you know, the kind of message that has a winky face at the end, which could indicate anything. If the original message was sassy, then that person will interpret your response as sassy as well, because they know that they've intended the original message in a negative way. So they think that your response will also be negative because of that. This is the limitation of text-based communication over the internet, because people will attach their own interpretations to the message based on what they've experienced rather than what's objective. And this is because, again, we're missing so many emotional clues, such as the tone of voice and the pace that things are said and the emphasis on certain words. For example, any peaceful, harmless message that you read could be interpreted in a sarcastic way, depending on what words you stress in the sentence. So as a YouTuber, this has been kind of hilarious in the past, because sometimes, and I will admit to this, I choose particularly vague responses, which could be interpreted in a positive or a negative way, just to kind of pull the intention out of the water, which will be revealed when that person responds to you again. And since we're talking about pulling intention out of ambiguous messages, another kind of behavior that's really interesting to see is when, like I said before, some people aren't providing criticism to help people, they're doing it because of rather selfish reasons. They want people to say, oh wow, how do you know this? You're very smart, and to receive validation from that. And I generally, it's not exclusive to this, I generally tend to see it from people that send the huge bodies of text without responding to the emotional clues of the person they're sending it to. But one kind of manipulative behavior I've seen is where people keep changing their tone based on the response they're receiving. So if someone sends out a piece of artwork that they're proud of and they've made, and someone provides some criticism, and then the original person disagrees, then the critiquer might get upset and offended about it, then accuse them of not listening. And then the artist may say something back, and then the critiquer may change their tone entirely and be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you like this. And then the artist may say something quite neutral back, and then the critiquer will change it up again because they feel like, right, I've got the artist in a more submissive position. Now I will come back in full force with the critique again. So they've been harsh, passive, harsh, keep changing their tone just to try and establish control over that conversation. I'm very cautious when we see people like this because it indicates a mix of intentions, which is generally not helpful for the artists that want to share their work. But this kind of leads us on to the subject of whether or not you should learn to ignore people, which I've talked about a fair bit in several other videos I've done on the YouTube channel. And the one phrase that I keep coming up with is don't take criticism from anyone you wouldn't take advice from. And for me, I do a wide range of things. And from my perspective, I feel like there's only a very few people that understand the full extent of my workflow and skill set and people that I have close connections with on an emotional level. So there are quite literally a few people that I will ask for feedback from and actually properly pay attention to just a few select people, because I know that these people understand me more than anyone else. So they can see when I'm swaying too much in one direction or another. Now, I think this is good for my position because again, I'm the kind of person that gets feedback, positive and negative from a lot of different people from different parts of the world, from different cultures, different backgrounds, etc. And you need to be able to learn how to filter through all of it. So for me, it's good just to pick a few people that know about pretty much everything and have them kind of be my advisors, if you like. For newcomers trying to develop their skills quickly, people that actually want to turn their hobby into a job, then doing it this way is probably not a great method because you want to get as much exposure as possible to new ideas and techniques. So the amount of criticism and feedback that you're looking for in your life will determine on your life choices. The kind of people you want to interact with, how you manage your interactions with people, the direction you want to take, the end goal you want to achieve. Some people know exactly what they want to work on and they know that they have the skill set to do it. So they're not looking to improve, they're just looking to make. They're looking to add the mileage rather than spend the time doing the experimentation and learning new skills. And I think that's perfectly fine. And we should be able to accept that in people. 
some people are perfectly fine not developing their skills any further. They're just happy making stuff with what they already have. And I don't think anyone should try to take their happiness away from them by saying, look, you're not going outside your comfort zone. You're not learning new things. Why are you doing this? You're doing it wrong. Why aren't you developing? Why don't you listen? I think that's wrong. If people are happy, let them be happy. If people want to develop their skills, if people want to take a step into the more traditional professional realm, then we can be there to provide that information for them. But I feel like sometimes people get wrapped up in this seductive critique culture, especially, and I am generalizing here, newcomers to creative skills, because there seems to be a bit of a strange curve, which most people call the Dunning-Kruger effect. But I actually don't really like that term now because it's overused so much by people. Where newcomers start learning something, they get hyper-confident and they think, I know everything. And then all of a sudden they start realizing that they don't actually know much and there's so much more to learn. And then over time, it kind of balances out. But when newcomers start providing feedback, sometimes they will go on just long, long rants about everything they've learned, even if it's not all entirely relevant to what's being critiqued. They will find a way to nuzzle in all the information they've been learning just because they feel proud of having the ownership of that knowledge. Now, that's not unexpected, but it's not great for feedback. So one thing that I think people should do more often is actually provide feedback for the feedback. Because how else are people supposed to effectively learn whether or not they're good at providing critique if someone's not critiquing their critique, <laughs> if that makes sense. But for some reason, people get really defensive when you question their critique method. And they'll say things like, oh, you just can't take critique. That's why you're getting defensive about it. Well, no, it's not about that. It's about just having a general common sense respect for people's time and effort and being able to understand the nuanced personality of the individual, being able to curtail the information for what they want to achieve. I think if we can find effective ways to do all of this, then the process of sharing work and receiving feedback and criticism will be more of an enjoyable experience for people, and safer from an emotional perspective for those that are finding it difficult to take the first step in sharing their work. Because as we touched on in the first episode, there are definitely a fair number of people out there that are afraid of sharing their work, because they're afraid of extremely harsh criticism. And they understand for themselves that if they receive it, then it will put them down, that they won't be able to cope with it emotionally, and that they'll just run away. They will adopt the flight part of the fight or flight response. Obviously, I think that's something that should be avoided. I think we should all try and be as encouraging as possible. So you can probably gather from listening to me that I'm more on the side of you can never have too much encouragement, but you can have too much criticism. Now, I know that there are people that will disagree with that because there's lots of people that think, oh, too much encouragement is bad for them because people won't develop. But as we said, not everyone wants to grow. Not everyone is looking for technical superiority in their skill set. And for you, as someone who provides criticism, it's not your choice to decide for people how much critique they should be comfortable in taking. It's entirely up to them. But to wrap it all up, I do love watching people share their work and discussing it and talking about ideas and having genuine, positive, reinforcing conversations with other people about a whole range of ideas, a whole range of theories, color, purposes, symbology, popular trends and fan arts and fictional universes that are inspired by people's dreams and all sorts of stuff. I think it's fantastic and I could watch it all day. But I think from listening to me, you can probably tell that I'm quite protective of people that have trouble sharing their work because I remember what it was like, not wanting to show anyone what you can make, and having the intense imposter syndrome of feeling like your work is worth nothing. Because if it's produced no results in the past, then it will produce no results in the future. It's a very difficult trap to get out of, but people can keep you in that trap if they're not responsive to the emotional clues that you leave them when having discussions, when you do finally get around to sharing your work. So the skill of learning, I guess, not just to ignore people, but to be selective with who you listen to and what pieces of information, objective or subjective, to adopt 
from people that have provided criticism, I think this is quite an essential life skill in general, not just for the art community. Just think, you know, you may like a certain type of fashion, right? And that's entirely personal preference. Someone on the street may shout you down for it. But what are you going to do? Are you going to change what you wear because that single person doesn't like it? Why would you do that? Like, you got to hold on to the things to make you happy in life. If you feel like you know what you like and you know what you want to do, then don't let anyone else get you down. As a YouTuber, and I know that a lot of the other YouTube friends I've been speaking to, we've had to deal with this quite a lot where you put something out there on your channel. And keep in mind, it's your channel. People come to you to watch this content. And then there are some people that go, why are you making this? I don't want you to make this. Why are you making this when I don't want you to make it? And you think, well, you have no right in telling me what to make. It reminds me of an example that Ricky Gervais, the comedian, gave. He gets into quite a few arguments on Twitter occasionally, but I think the example he gave was pretty good. It was like when people get offended or if they don't like something that you've made, when they've come to you to see that content, then it's just ridiculous. He said it's like putting up an advert for guitar lessons on the wall. And then if someone walks past and grabs it and goes, but I don't want guitar lessons. And you think, well, okay, like it wasn't made for you. You don't need to get angry about it just because it exists. The world doesn't have to bend in your favor. These creators online, they're not making things just for your personal preference. They don't sit around a table and go, ah, oh, what does X want to see today? Let's all make things for this specific person. That's unrealistic. It's a very self-centered worldview. And I think the same thing applies to senseless, unwarranted, unnecessarily harsh criticism. If someone hasn't asked for your opinion on something, and you don't know them well enough personally, and the context is not there with the expectation of feedback, then it's really not up to you to decide what this person should or should not make. But in reality, most people are genuinely really good at giving feedback and advice for people. They're very nurturing about it. They're very caring. They can pick up on the emotional clues. But occasionally I do see a situation where someone's felt upset after sharing their work and it's made them less likely to share it in the future. And that upsets me because I feel like, well, there was a whole world of potential there if this person just carried on. And I ideally want my community to act as a kind of cultivation area where people can freely experiment and share their work and get the encouragement they need to keep producing content and keep putting it out there so they can grow. So yeah, this has just been some of my random thoughts and ramblings about community and critique and feedback and all of that. I'm sure that people out there will have alternate opinions, which is perfectly fine. We've all been raised in different ways, in different cultures, with different behavioral expectations, but I just wanted to put my thoughts out there. So thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time.